Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is successful bulk food transport with my friend, Chris Fish. How's it going, Chris? Going great, Joe. How are you today? Very good. Very good. Please introduce yourself and your company and where you're at. Well, uh, I am in beautiful, sunny Des Moines. I'm only looking because I'm by the window. Uh, (laughs) My name is Chris Fish. As you mentioned, Uh, I serve as our senior vice president of dedicated contract transportation. Um, and I am uh, privileged to be employed by Ruan Transportation, Joe. So, so say, tell us a little bit about Ruan. I know it's one of the big dogs in this industry. Well, uh, yeah. So interesting you ask. So July 4th, we had just celebrated our 89th birthday. Um, Ruan wow. was founded. Yeah, Ruan was founded in 1932 by John Ruan, ironically, hence the name, uh, with a with a single truck and John. Uh, had to leave school at the time to support his families after his father worked passed. Out. <laughs> yeah, worked, worked out well. Uh, you think about a single coal truck that uh, about every five years, it'll make an appearance in our lobby here at the Ruan Tower, um, which is really cool to see. It's a replica, but just to give people perspective of what the company was born from, it's pretty cool. Right. And, you know, you mentioned the the Ruan Tower, and I just saw out your window because when you were moving your camera, what floor are you on? I'm on the 32nd floor, which is uh, it's a great a great view from up here, and as you can you imagine, all of Des Moines, Des Moines. pretty flat. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I went over. I've been there. I've been to that tower, and uh, years ago, probably three three years ago, and I remember going. I was let's see, I was leaving Minneapolis, and I was driving there, and I was thinking, oh, here we go. I'm going to some terminal or whatever, and somebody had told me, no, it's downtown. And I was like, oh, okay, here I'm going. To, I just had it in my mind. I'm going just to another trucking terminal. It's going to be, I'm going to park 100 miles away. I'm going to walk up in there. And then downtown Des Moines, very nice. I'd never been there. I was like, wow, this is a cool little town. I mean, it's livable because it's a, it's a downtown. It's not like Chicago or Detroit or so where you get a huge traffic jam every, every hour. But um, it's beautiful there. And then you guys are in that beautiful building. And I, I stayed at the Hyatt next door that I think you guys also developed. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah, this is an unusual trip to see a trucking company. You stay at a Hyatt and then walk next door to a tower. <laughs> well, and here locally, Joe, Ruan's much more than just transportation uh, and managed transportation. They're quite active in a, no- a number of different in- endeavors, including banking, um, investments, properties. So, yeah, there's quite a bit going on in Des Moines with the Ruan name. Yep. And I, and I was also amazed when I visited how many uh, Iowa State people were there. And I kind of, I'm a Big Ten guy. I always grew, I grew up, my dad loved Hayden Fry from uh, uh, University of Iowa. And he's like, that's the way it's done. That's the way I always heard him talking about Hayden Fry's been, he, he came with the football program. And I never knew even Iowa State had a football program until. And it's a pretty big deal there. So, but it seems like everybody, I know you didn't go there, but it seems like everybody, that company, one or the other, they're a Hawkeye or a, a Cyclone, right? Yeah. There, there really is a lot of, a lot of local folks here. I, I would say 
corporate wise, there's probably a little bit more of the red and uh, gold around here. The Iowa Staters. Um, I, I, I'm a, a fighting bee from St. Ambrose. So, uh, I, I was on the Eastern Iowa side of things and my son went to Iowa. So I'm a hawk. And that's right. not always that possible or, uh, you know, that positive around here, but that's, that's where I go. Big tip. Yep. So, uh, before we get into the topic, where did you grow up and where did you go to school and, uh, Give us some career highlights. So, uh, yeah, kind of funny you ask. So I'm a Chicago guy, uh, just a real two-second uh, bio back into Des Moines. My parents were students at Drake. I was born in Des Moines and lived here for three days and uh, <laughs> moved to Chicago uh, <laughs> at the three-day mark and really grew up in Chicagoland, um, you know, did did a lot of sports in, in school, Uh Started out going the traditional path. A lot of a lot of young kids do. I started out uh, in college, and you know, Joe, I, I just uh, I, I from a maturation level, I wasn't quite ready. I was interested in a lot of things other than good grades. And uh, well, that's that's what college is all about: is being <laughs> interested in everything but good grades. Yeah, I, I might have took it to an extreme or two, but uh, I, I, I oddly enough ended up. Uh, uh, driving a truck for a couple of young guys that had founded a uh, food service business. And, uh, you know, it, it <laughs> young ownership, a lot of fun. Actually, in that day, a lot of money for a guy my age. Had the opportunity to sell a little bit and drive. And it, it was a route truck. Yeah, it was a route truck. Good old fashioned food service. Matter of fact, <laughs> city of Chicago, all the drudgery, all those things you can think about. But uh, I, I started uh, on the front end of this business behind the wheel. And then at some point you decided to go back to school? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I worked for this company for a few years and moved up into a, a branch manager role with them. Um, you know, probably should have seen the red flags, a couple of young guys. They were building it to sell it, and it did sell. I was offered an opportunity to stay in management with this company and go uh, to southern Illinois, which just really wasn't of interest to us at the time, or quite frankly, take a payout. And I took the payout and my wife and I with two babies said, you know what, let's do something different. And, uh, you know, think about leaving Chicago behind. And that's when I moved to Iowa. And then I got into uh, what I would call the truckload sector of the world, Joe. And it started in recruiting, ironically. Where, where at? Uh, Heartland Express. Uh, right. Now. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Cor- Coralville, Iowa. Uh, back uh I don't want to date myself too much, but just about the, the mid nineties when they really were, were just the kind of the darling of the profitability world. Right. And then when did you go to Rouen? Uh, I came to Rouen, uh, in 1998. So 23 years now. Uh, Woo! So, yeah. Been, been around a couple of days. Uh, and you said you went to school somewhere along. Do you go to night school or do you take some time off and go? No, I, I did it at night. So I did Isn't it, uh, that fun? Yeah, raise, raising kids and doing all those things. I, I, I went to St. Ambrose and, and got my degree in business. And uh, I did start that with a previous employer and then finished it here with my time at Rock. I went to school at night for like, I think like 19 years. From age 19, I, I left after my first year of college, started working. And I kept thinking, well, yeah, I'll get my degree. But back, it was really hard. I mean, really hard. And I never took semesters off. It's just, you know, I'd have like two two or three classes, and then I'd have to be traveling for work and then drop a class. It'd be faxing stuff back, faxing papers to the professor from, from China. It was always ridiculous. And then I stupidly, I decided I was going to get my master's too. I was like, 
as if the pain wasn't bad enough. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I I wasn't that bold. Uh, and maybe I wish I had. I should have challenged I mean, myself. I I love University of Michigan, but I like you know what I was a big fan before I went there, so I didn't need to get a degree there. But I was like, no, I'd be nice if I had a degree from there. Who cares? No, My current no. employer doesn't care. Yeah, but understood. Anyway, so today's topic is successful. F- bulk food transport with Chris Fish. So Chris, when we were talking, when we were prepping for this, you kept bringing up COVID and you say, if you want to know about a traumatic time in bulk, well, first off, talk, what is bulk food transport? When you talk about bulk food transport, what, what does that differentiate that from regular food transport? So I would say the biggest differentiator is the the piece of equipment you pull. Bulk food generally is going to be in a tank and they have different compartments compartmental type pieces of equipment, but in layman's terms, it's just generally going to be in a bulk tank versus a a reefer or a van or something a lot of people are more familiar with. Right. And so it's usually got to be refrigerated too, right? Uh, No, actually, it's it's basically a big thermos, Joe, uh, ironically. And in some cases, it's a heated thermos because we haul oils that require uh, a heating element. But but most of this comes in cold, and because of the the fiberglass and the insulation and the integrity of this tank, I can put a a, a load of chilled milk on a lot in the desert for 24 hours and maybe lose one degree, and there's no chillers or anything. Matter of fact, my first day assigned to that business in California, I walked out on the yard and I was looking under the tank, and a uh, maintenance guy came out and he says, "What are you looking for?" I said, "Well, how do you how do you chill this stuff? How does it stay cold?" He said, it's all in the wrap. Wow. Yeah. Well, I do. And you know this. I did a lot of stuff with the Food Safety Modernization Act. I, 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 I did tons of training for people, uh, probably 50 training sessions I did on that, all online. And um, so I had to study all this. And I was on the, on the FDA website. And I remember them talking about bulk food being one of the riskier areas because you actually have the food product touching the side of the, of the vehicle. So it's one thing that when you when you load up um, a box of peanut butter onto a dry van, and it doesn't have to be managed. The, the temperature doesn't have to be particularly managed. You can't get super hot, but um, it's already in a jar in a box. And and if that dry van was a little dirty, it's not probably we don't want them dirty, mind you. But it, nobody's going to get contaminated food with bulk food. It since it's touching the side of the of the vehicle, uh, the container that bar is higher. There's more, more opportunity for contamination, right? Yeah. You, you bet there is. And there's so many regulations around it. You know, you, you mentioned FMSA. Um, that's more of a shipper act. Right. I would say in relation to, you know, bulk food, the regulation thereof, um, there's always been federal overture of that. It's, it's really through the PMO, which is a pasteurized milk ordinance where, Think of associations from all states getting together and and sitting in council and making rules of, hey, this is how that product's going to go down the road to protect the end users. And then it it goes from that level into states can have even further regulations um, and and have more, you know, stricter rules around wash tags. But you're absolutely right that that product is touching the walls of that tank and integrity is everything. Yeah, the bar is I, I I know this for a fact. I know when we prep, we talk about this. The bar is just much higher in this business. I mean, again, so many of us. I mean, I think probably majority of people listening 
are do dry van, which is the majority of the business. But the, the but the people who are in this, it, you know, cold chain stuffs a little, the bar's a little higher. And I think when you talk about food grade bulk bulk food grade, that's much higher. So, so talk about this traumatic time. What what you said that COVID exposed the whole industry, and how so? What was uh, the, what, what what went wrong? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, uh, ex- exposing the industry, I, I think everybody was touched by COVID, right? right? Uh, in, in some manner. Well, I shouldn't say expose I, the industry, yeah. expose some of the, the cracks, right? That's Right, the, that- right. Yeah, a lot of the challenges and the way you think about things going forward. I, I think the, you know, the biggest lesson learned was you, you have a product that's going from a mammal to a production facility and where it goes from there goes in numerous different uh, places and food stores. But a couple of the ones that really jump out to mind that were impacted the most by COVID were, you know, the little milk containers that we all remember right. as kids drinking in school, right? Yeah. They, they haven't changed in 60 years. <laughs> so it's, it's the same little container and, and butter pats. You think about restaurant business, and in the the application of small butters and packaging, uh, well, you know those places uh, that were set up to produce those products were set up to produce those products, and when all of a sudden your demand ceases overnight, there's a lot of milk on your hands, Joe. And oh, so you're 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 still you still have milk cows, and they're still they, producing milk. They and don't now stop. All, and now all of a sudden, all the schools are closed, and that and so I'm guessing there was le- a lot less demand for school yep. milk, yep. a lot less for pat butter that you might get at a restaurant. Yep. But now I have to somehow do something. I have supply. That's right. That's <laughs> and so right. so now, what did they want to move it into cartons? And let me guess, cartons and bottles were not available at the quantity they wanted. Well, and they wouldn't even have the market for it, right? Because because oh. us as consumers, we're not going to change how we buy milk. So you're not going to go to the store and buy your family an eight ounce carton of milk for the week, right? right. So you're going to continue your patterns of shopping. But now you've lost, and, and, and dairy milk in this industry is about 17, I'm sorry, fluid milk, which would be the cartons and the jugs. It's about 17% of where the, the milk goes from the farm. Where's, so you, where's the rest? Well, powders, uh, butter is obviously significant, other frozen dairy, oh, uh, I didn't cream, cream cheese, yogurt. But, you know, powder is the primary product. But, you know, with all the things going on overseas with, you know, former trading partners and issues with tariffs, a lot of that market's dried up as well. So it, it when you take out these little streams of avenues, to your point, the cows never stop. I mean, it, it truly never stops. And obviously that cow is the lifeline of a dairy farmer. And it doesn't have an on-off switch. Right. And so how did this manifest itself downstream? So when they, what were the problems that you guys experienced? So, so I think in conjunction with the processors, um, what, what we really saw was a dynamic shift in where the product went to market and how it went to market. So the first thing it did was it forced, um, you know, our larger co-ops and processors to take more of the milk on in their own facilities. Whether they were ready for that influx or not, they had to take it back in-house to, to produce it. And I just mentioned powder that's your best option for just storing milk long term, right? Right. Obviously, if you heat it, turn it to powder, put it in a bag, you have a lot more time than when you put it in a jug and stick it on a shelf and have a two for one sale. I, you um, know, 
Where's powdered milk go? Is it go to processors, food processors? Because I don't, I don't drink well, a lot of powdered milk. I, I guess well, I have. You consume a lot of it. You just don't know it. It's oh, so a it's in a lot of other foods. It's okay, a lot of products. If you really became a, a a label reader like my wife, she will tell you all the products were were milk. I'd be better really off if I was. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's just used in so many foodstuffs, and in, in, in some cases, other applications. Right, it's, and it stores better. Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah, it stores better. It can be shipped internationally again. Like you said, it can go to countries where there's a need. You know, you think about uh, third world countries that, that have needs for, for food stuff. So it's, right. it's a very diverse product. So in addition to now we've got to switch gears, we, we can't sell as much school milk. We're not selling to restaurants. Right. We got to sell. Right. First off, we, we're not going to we can sell probably a little extra milk to consumers at the grocery store because they're not going to restaurants, right. they're not going to school or work, but they, um, that, that didn't mean there was necessarily a big market for those guys. And they probably had shelf space, you know, assigned to them already. That, and so, right. and so they have all those challenges. What were the challenges kind of on the uh, logistics side? Did you guys lose and transportation logistics? Did you guys lose drivers? I mean, the industry overall, so we were pretty resilient um, in relation to COVID with the drivers in the marketplace. Um, I, I think we took great steps on the front end of the pandemic from a planning um, and education uh, standpoint. So we armed all of our employees with quite a bit of data around how to stay safe. Obviously, like so many others in the industry, supplied every type of PP&E you can think of as related to COVID right. protection. Um, being our customers in this space, our food manufacturers, they took the pandemic times five, right? Right. They have already orchestrated. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're orchestrated and prepared for, unfortunately, these types of things to happen. So I think combined with their efforts and our efforts, we were actually able to keep our, our driver ranks fairly calm. And I would say uh, others that uh, supply uh, capacity in that market did pretty well. We really didn't see a, a driver hit. Now we had like everybody, we would have the occasional case or whatever, you know, we had uh, people miss work, but it, it wasn't a traumatic effect well, uh, think, on that end of things. Right. I always think like, you know, it, it could be a driver could get sick or you could say I'm at really high risk and I really don't feel comfortable working, or it could be a spouse or, or a, a parent. Right. Um, or your kids all of a sudden who used to go to school every day now are at home, right? right? And you go, so there's a lot of reasons. And I know when we talked, you said, and Ruan is a big company and, and does good with tenured employees and, and, yep. and you don't have as much risk, which is a good thing. But I think of a lot of smaller companies that didn't have the bandwidth, they lost drivers yep. and, um, not, and w when all of a sudden you lose drivers during this time, it's, it's a challenge. You, you bet. No, you're right. And, and you know, um, from a customer need, they needed every driver we had, Joe. It, it was just literally pure chaos when you think about trying to coordinate the logistics of, of getting milk from a cow and into a silo. <laughs> fun stuff, fun stuff. So yep. um, when we talk about m milk, where, where are you talking? Where's, where's the big milk states? Well, it's funny you ask because everybody automatically goes right to Wisconsin, right? right. And that, that, that's what we're trained to do. And Wisconsin's a great state for agriculture. and They're very large. But from a, a, a dynamic proportion, 
Wisconsin has a lot of mid-sized dairies, whereas uh, a great percentage of our business is in California, Indiana, and New Mexico. And I would call that more of the mega dairy, the large dairy. So what was it? What was California? What was it? California, New Mexico, and Indiana are significant states for us, as is Michigan. I shouldn't exclude Michigan. But, but as far as size and scalability, California is a significant size state. Uh, Indiana, New Mexico, Michigan um, are also, you know, large dairy producing states. Texas. So, but, so how do you, so you have, you have a lot of your own assets. How do you keep your, where do you keep your trucks? Are they, do they so, normally stay in the same terminals? So that's a great question. And you, and you think about people in our industry and what we do. Um, our average length of haul, for example, in one of our largest uh, dairy locations, which is the Central Valley of California, uh, this particular area I'm talking about just outside of Fresno, our average length of haul, Joe, is 17 miles. And <laughs> you think about serving, you know, <laughs> 75 customers in six processing plants and your average length of haul is 17 miles. It probably wow. paints a pretty good picture for you of where we're at. We're, we're right in the middle of very small zones for the most part. This isn't over the road stuff. Right. So this is, so this is taking it from uh, the, right from the cows where it's produced to wh where do you take it to? So, processing? so that, that's a great question because it, it varies by state. Um, you know, a lot of the milk industry in Indiana and New Mexico goes to a particular customer. So I might go right from mammal to the truck, right to customer A, right? In the state of California, there are so many receiving facilities set up in that state. Um, just out of that location I just mentioned to Larry, I have 45 potential end destinations for a load of milk from a farm. Now, that's not yeah. normal. And before COVID, I would have told you it was 21. After COVID, I'll tell you it's 45. <laughs> right. it, it can go anywhere from Fresno, California, up by San Francisco. So it really uh, was an interesting change. So educate me on this process a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about, um, I, know, I know it starts with the cow. They milk the cow, it ends up in some sort of tank, right? Yep. Yep. Is, it, is that the tank that you put on your truck? No. So actually, in a lot of cases, it's a similar tank. It's just embedded in a concrete wall. Matter of fact, you'll see the I've end seen of that. A, I've yeah, seen that. You'll, you'll see the end of a barrel hanging out. and it, yep. It's literally a, a tank. Right. Um, so, you know, the 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 different rules around milk, it has to be chilled to a certain temperature. Uh, PMO is 45 degrees, but all the co-ops, they all have different requirements. But let's just we'll use 45 degrees. So the, the milk's chilled to 45 degrees before it can then be picked up and transported to the, the processing plant. So basically a driver will show up, he'll check the temp recorders, and believe me, there's a lot of paperwork involved with this business, as you would expect, um, a lot of checks and balances. So they'll, you know, record the temperature recording at the time of the milk. They'll fill out the weight tag because there's weights involved here. So you're going to seal that. <laughs> yep. You, you bet. Yep. Tanks got to be sealed up. And we most cases have to then wash the farmer's tank because he has the same wash requirements that we do with the mobile tank. And that goes back to your very early point about food touching the side of the barrel or the wall. Right. So when you say wash, is your truck equipped to wash that? How, our, our, that? 
mo- most of our equipment has a clean in place installed or a CIP where we actually wash at the plant. So there's a nozzle and there's a system inside of the trailer that all they have to do is hook a line to and the tank uh, uses its own componentry to wash. And there's other locations where we actually have to go to a clean in place facility um, that, that replicates what we have built in the truck. Right. So then when you take that milk to the processing plant, what do they do there? So, so this is funny that, that people ask me this, and I, I think the easiest way to, to sum this up for people is we're going from a thermos, right, usually a similar size thermos, to a really big thermos, Joe. So at the milk processing plants, they'll, they'll have, you know, massive silos where this milk's going into it and they'll segregate milk based on organic regular milk. But, but generally it's going into a very large silo that they're filling. And then of course, you know, using through their day for their production needs, but these are significantly sized facilities that are equipped to handle, you know, 300 loads or more. And that's, and that's where they put it into cartons and uh, bottles and little cartons. Some, I think that, you know, as a percent, (laughs) yeah, right. But as a percent of the total, uh, dairy milk to to fluid milk, you know what we would say, white right. milk on the shelf or chocolate milk. It's about seventeen percent of the market. I, that's the only thing I. Uh, that's the only thing I actively buy, though. That's funny. Yeah. I know you said powder is a big yeah. part of it, but I I know I'm eating it. I just don't. I don't know I'm buying it. Right. You just don't. You don't equate it. But yeah. So so depending on the plant, your, your bigger plants are usually set up to produce a, a broader spectrum of products. So do you do you also transport from the processing plant or are you guys more focused as this conversation more focused on uh, getting it from the cow to the processing plants? Well, no, we, we actually have a frozen dairy division um, and I, I don't know how much customer plugging I'm allowed. But there's a very, very <laughs> famous, ahead. there's a very famous ice cream chain with 31 flavors. Um, <laughs> That, that we supply. We all. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a guess, especially if you're from the Midwest, you'd get it. Um, but but uh, on the West Coast, we, we handle all of the products that that go into those stores at night. We'll bring in the frozen dairies into key stops and, and load the freezers at night for the franchisee to come in in the morning and serve 31 flavors. So we yeah. do we do temp controlled reefer as well. So, you know, normally here, like, you know, the restaurants are all around town are all like food to fork, but you guys are like cow to uh, ice cream cone. <laughs> yeah, you, have to, you, have to, you have to get with your marketing people and play with that a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a note. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, thank you for explaining the process. What are some of the... To be successful, what do you need to do in this business? I mean, what are the key components that make you successful versus not being successful? And I know one of I, I know we talked a little bit about the failures. And again, I think some of the failures were made more clear, not necessarily at ruin, but the the industry during this COVID time. You know, that, that's a great question, and, and maybe if I back up in time a little bit, maybe it'll help shed a little light. So prior to the mid 2000s, as far as dairy, as far as that type of commodity haul, um, we had really ever been in that space. I mean, we we had been through very various, you know, progressions of commodities we've hauled over space and time. Matter of fact, when we were founded again, it was a coal truck. Right. So we could say earth products were the first commodities right. we ever hauled in 1932. But we made an investment in the dairy industry uh, in, in 
2006, 2007, we, we made a decision to enter to this business because we looked at it as quasi-specialized, quasi-dedicated because of the type of, of oversight, management, and process building you really have to do to be successful in this business. And, and I sometimes uh, maybe make it sound a little too sports-like, but I'd call it the blocking and tackling. And right. you, really, you really have to have a plan, Joe, of, of what you're doing on the front end with, with the training of the members. There are so many different things that, that our drivers have to learn from federal, state. A lot of cases, these guys are licensed weighers and samplers, right? They're, they're making decisions that are driving payroll, not only for the farmer, but for these processing plants. I mean, they're creating revenue when they write tickets. So they have to be, uh, you know, licensed in tariffs, right? And weighing and sampling, uh, sampling, you, you, you talked about it. We have to make sure that what goes in that tank isn't contaminated, right? Because right. to your point, it's going right from that dairy cow into, to our food chain. Right. And, and one of the things I learned when I was doing the Food Safety Modernization Act training is, um, I used to talk about we've all seen cop shows, right? So we watch those cop shows and we always hear about evidence and the the chain of custody of evidence is really important. And when we're talking about food, especially liquids, uh, the chain of custody is enormously important because if you wanted, God forbid, somebody wanted to tamper with something, you don't want to open up a package of peanut butter and have to open the lid and throw stuff in. You want to contaminate a tanker. So the, this is, this is the, this is the, biggest challenge we have in, in, in the food business is liquids because it's easy to contaminate not just a, a, a one container. It's potentially tens of thousands of containers. Correct. No, that, that's, a, that's a great call out. And there's, that, that's where that sampler right certification comes in. So, so in some applications, the dairy themselves may have the weigher's sampler certification and our driver just shows up and, and grabs a, a sealed tank kind of like a drop and hook like you would do for hauling right. a load of widgets right um but in most applications our guys and our company are we're taking the burden of that responsibility so we're actually pulling the sample at the dairy level so it can be tested before any of that milk is put into a silo yikes yeah it's yep. a bar bar is very high and, and so i'm guessing also the uh a pool of available uh, drivers is much lower. I know the driver shortage has been a problem everywhere, yeah. but the pool is much smaller to begin with in your biz. It, it, it really is. And it, it really takes a unique individual because there is a lot of not only manual work required here, but a lot of rural work. Um, so, so we find that people that grew up in an agricultural setting or right. background are generally a little bit more comfortable with this type of work. Um, our conversion rate of, you know, guys driving the big fancy Peterbilts up and down the road with a lot of chrome generally don't think, oh, wow, milk calling just sounds great. So we, we really rely on the communities we serve for, for the people coming into our business. And uh, in that regard, you know, to your point with the challenges, we actually um, did something a little, little outside of the box for Ruan and we put in a, a dairy training program facility in Clovis, New Mexico where we actually work with uh, the University of Eastern New Mexico. We'll train drivers um, in, in how to do this type of work. And they go through progressions of, you know, being a, a local on the yard kind of guy 
and work their way up to actually being able to operate the tank and, and serve customers. Right. And I, I say this probably once every two weeks on the podcast is that I like companies that, that get knit, get niches or niche, yeah. whatever you want to say. And I, the reason I say that is because you can really lean into your customer's business. And I always think if I was, if somebody was to, you know, in, in this business, it's so so specific. I don't think you can just call up and say, "Hey, I normally move dry van stuff, but I'm thinking about buying a tanker, and I, you know, can I move some of your milk?" The <laughs> click, right? But, yeah, right. <laughs> but but I feel like all shippers now want somebody who's understands my business. If I'm a if I'm in automotive, I want somebody who understands complex manufacturing. Yeah. If I'm in if I'm in the food business, I don't want to move it with somebody who's learning the food business. I want to yeah. work with somebody who says, "This is what I do." So yeah. I love the fact that you guys leaned in. <laughs> well, and, uh, and, and I'm sorry if I if I talk too soon, but you know, I really you hit something on the head here with especially with COVID and, and even before COVID. But I, I think with the trauma of COVID to the supply chain and the network, the back office systems and the visibility of the asset, the asset being right. equipment and drivers, was never more critical. And our customers, you, you use the word leaned in, leaned in hard and expected us to help them not only manage ourselves, but manage others, right? right. They just said, look, we are, we are spilling millions of pounds of milk. And that's a substantial cost to a small dairyman, right? Um, and they're a co-op. So they all share in that pain. And, and, and it changed, I think it changed the way that our, customers look out at their providers. Right. And so you mentioned before that not every trucking company even has visibility in this business because of the local nature of it. Yeah. And you said that you guys yeah. already obviously had it. And you, you were joking about it when we were prepping, you kept saying, uh, Chris Fish, Joe Lynch, uh, <laughs> um, milk haulers would milk never haulers. work because y you need a certain, um, you need a certain uh, size, the resources uh, you, you need somebody who can lean in, you know, has, has the right, right stuff. You're not going to go, you go to Chris and Joe and say, Hey, could you buy three more trucks? We're like, well, I don't know, maybe <laughs> So let me call yeah. the bank. <laughs> well, it, it, and there's, there's a space for Chris and Joe. It, it just depends on the complexity of the customer, the size of the network, and the value of the service. I, I will tell you that, you know, there are certain, you know, companies in this industry that, you know, cost of goods is more critical than that service level sometimes. And that's whatever space they're competing in from a commodity might make sense for them. But as you move up into the more complex, I, I think it's sophisticated food providers, that level of complexity grows. And then Chris and Joe fall more under the umbrella of somebody that can kind of, right. kind of help, help them, you know, with technology and backroom systems and training. Right. Right. So time up, how do you be successful? You, you talked about the drivers and getting the yeah. great drivers and getting great, the, the trained, you got to hopefully some tenure, some experience, Hopefully there's some, uh, they're sticking around for a while. They're, they aren't uh, transient because you've trained yeah. them and, yeah. and you, you gotta have, you gotta have a critical mass of them, right? Yeah, you, you do. It, it really is about the process and the procedure. I can tell you that the amount of time and investment into what I would call an SOP or a process manual for a dairy driver is incredibly 
more intensive and complex than, than most go-to-market manuals right. I might hide and a driver. I mean, this is, this is multiple pages. It's, it's visual because it's pictorial. There are tools in the yard for them to come back and, and emulate certain situations and scenarios, but it really is on that front end training. Right. We actually have pretty decent success even with newer drivers, Joe, but we have to invest a lot of time on the front end training and the continuous education of that individual, much oh, yeah. more than, than most of our other verticals, you know, outside of like cry or very specialized type things. Right. And it, it's, it's critical. Yep. And so beyond the drivers and all the SOP and the tra- the dr- yep. getting all that right, uh, you you talked about the back office and uh, the importance of the technologies that the, yes. give you the visibility, they give you the uh, the knowledge base to manage uh, crisis and uh, have contingency plans like we just went through for COVID, right? Yep. You bet. And you think about, and, and this is... Uh, Kind of tongue in cheek, but we had the ELD mandate, you know. A couple uh, years I remember. Ago. Well, well, guess which group is exempt? The agriculture hauling commi- right. Uh, community, right? So, you know, a lot of the visibility that is needed by our customers comes through that ELD device. Right. <laughs> so there are a number of individuals in this space from a carrier perspective that don't have those because they, they didn't have to, and B, they don't want to. They're very comfortable running right. state ag laws where they can run 18 hours a day, right? right. So I, I think that that was kind of the the first little, I think during COVID, the look in like, oh gosh, not all of our, you know, and I'm talking from the, the customer perspective, not all of our providers even know where their stuff's at. They have no idea where their right. truck's at. They have no idea where their driver's at, and we really need them back quickly. Um, and, and, of course, you know, Ruan being, uh, you know, the, the size and type of organization we are, uh, all of our operations are in ELD, and we have a, a back office dairy system uh, for, I call our enterprise platform that was built specifically for dairy, and we call it Red Track. Right. Well, it, it is interesting because um, – one of the things also, I remember when looking at that ELD mandate, uh, there was some companies that had exemptions beyond just the ag movers. Yeah. And um, I was talking to some shippers and I was like, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable if I were you going with somebody who says we're exempt. Even if they are allowed to be exempt, I just don't like the idea of it. It just to me, and that's the same, the Food Safety Modernization Act, it's huge, right? And But at the end, there's also stuff that some carriers are exempt from. I was like, I don't want to work with anyone because at some point I'm going to have to explain to somebody why I went with the guy who says he's exempt. And then they're going to have to prove why they're exempt. I'm going to have to answer my boss. He goes, why again did you pick someone who's exempt from the laws that are meant to protect the end customer? Uh, cause, uh, cause I'm an idiot. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Right. And today's legitus, uh, legi- I'm going to butcher the word. Lit- yes, litigious. Litigious. Thank you. <laughs> I think I would know that word intimately in our business, but you know, in today's society and the, the risk of it's, you know, it's a lot of fallout risk to that as well. Right. When uh, you, t- when you talk about, um, you know, those, uh, catastrophic verdicts, um, I know one of the things I had somebody on my podcast, he's an insurance guy for trucking, and he talked about uh, the catastrophic 
verdicts. And, and if you really want to see those, look over to the food business, because that is really, truly where there's some big dollars being spent. But one of the things he talked about, and I know you guys are uh, dot the I's and cross the T's on this for sure, is he said, when you're in an accident, the first thing they want to look at is um, the driver and the company and then their maintenance. And he goes, they, they're looking for anything they can put a hook in. And when I say they, I mean the the uh, council are looking for an excuse to say, see, this truck wasn't maintained properly. It might have been, but maybe it was somebody scribbled rather than writing properly on there or or this truck is too old or it didn't have all the cameras or whatever. And he said, he said, you need to have that. And I know you guys get that safety award every year. So you guys go above and beyond. That's who I want to work with. Yeah, you bet. And it does mean a lot to, there's not many customers out there where, where safety doesn't matter. And it, here at Ruan, safety's always been first. And I, right. you know, it's easy to say that's a moniker and you just say that when you answer the phone, but we, we live and breathe it. And I think our reputation and to your point, the, the community recognizes how, how hard we work to stay safe. Yeah. And again, I, th- one thing that, that shippers have done wrong when it comes to RFPs and to chasing down, Hey, I want the best prices. You can't compare a uh, a truck that has the right driver, the, with the right experiences, the right training, the right everything, in a truck that's fully maintained, r- relatively modern, got all the all the safety gadgets, all the cameras, to a guy who says, "Yeah, I just got a truck and it's a little old, and yeah, I'm a little sketchy myself, but I'm twenty dollars cheaper." I hate that whole mentality when somebody picks based just on price because. You know, later on when there's an accident or and, and you say uh, or or God forbid there is an accident can happen even the best drivers, at least the best drivers can say, I've got an impeccable record. <laughs> the sketchy driver is like, hey, remember, I was 20 bucks cheaper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do you no, expect? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. And I, I think they're, you know, tentacles of that, too. And it, a lot of times it, if you have that kind of mantra, that's the company that you're going to allow yourself to be, I mean, it, it starts to spill into all pieces of, of what you are offering for a serving, right? Service, reputation. I mean, let's face it, our customers' commodities are not only in our equipment, but sometimes their names on the side of our equipment. Right. And if that thing's laying on its side on the nightly news, that's not good for us or the industry right. or them. And just, and just, uh, to fill people in, when you say it's on the side, that's because you guys do dedicated, meaning that that truck looks like it's your customer's truck and it's the driver might even have their uniform on, right? Correct. Yep. And I, uh, the example of the frozen dairy desserts, right? We're pulling a branded trailer with somebody's name. That's their marquee billboard going down the road. And if that thing's, you know, laying on right. uh, I-5 in California and it's on the news because I've shut down traffic, not only have their franchisees not gotten a product, but they've just gotten the worst publicity they could even ask for. Nobody wants to be on the news, whether it, you know, God forbid a fatality accident, but just any, anything, you do not want your brand to be represented like that. Right. Right. Well, I also say that I love the idea of dedicated. I never really knew about dedicated until the last few years. And I'm, I'm a believer now. And the reason I say that is because um, during COVID, you don't have to say, can I get a truck? No, I got dedicated trucks. Yeah, right. I already, I'm conscious. Those are my trucks and those are my drivers. And it's managed by somebody who does that for a living because we don't do that for a living. We're a manufacturer or an ice cream company. And yep. you've got world-class, you've got world-class uh, uh, experts doing 
your trucking for you, but it looks to the world like that's us, which I like. Yeah, <laughs> and quite frankly, I think customers uh, that choose to invest in that space like it because they can focus on what they're really good at. And that's marketing and producing whatever hey, product. You look, you look really, <laughs> and you look really smart during COVID when the boss runs down and goes, "Hey, are we screwed on this truck thing?" Uh, you remember we got ten dedicated or yeah, fifty right? or whatever it is. We looked pretty yeah. darn smart that day. Um, yeah, you, you bet. So we talked about the drivers. We talked about the kind of the back office, the technology, the visibility processes. Talk a little bit about. Uh, I know when we were prepping, you talked about the importance of being able to invest in the resources, the assets, the tanks, the trailers, yeah. tractors. Boy, you, you know, that's that's a great segue. A um, couple things when you think about that. Um, sustainability is becoming significant, right, in, in so many sectors oh, yeah. of day-to-day life. What we are finding, Joe, are, are many, um, and I'll just say states, we'll start at the state level, are making greater allowances for more specialized payloads opportunities with equipment. So not only are we kind of mashing through the, you know, the, hey, we've always had to buy this tube that you can haul 50,000 pounds. And, you know, by the way, right now you can't get them made for a year because of all the things related to supply chain and COVID. But now I'm having to engineer and design and work with my customers. Uh, You know, we have a, a super tanker and I call it super tanker because it's a 12,000 gallon multi-axle tank running around Indiana and Michigan. So, so how many, so you've used pounds, 50,000 pounds. How many pounds would that 12,000 gallons be? Well, it's, it's eight pounds to a gallon. So you're, you're just shy of a hundred thousand pounds of milk sloshing around in one massive tank. It's a lot of milk, my friend. It, it, it literally, and, and, you know, the sustainability footprint is now we've done the work of two trucks with one. So now, and, and what's funny is it, it wasn't uh, very complicated. What we did, Joe, is we went back in and we replicated the old Michigan coil lines, what they called the Michigan trains in the day, when uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana were all part of the auto manufacturing nucleus of the world, right. they had created a lot of exemptions to move steel around. And we just said, well, you know, what if we hauled milk on the same routes? Is that possible? And the state said, you know what? It is. Now, it's a, it's complicated. There's a lot of things with permitting and uh, things of that nature. But you know, it's been a great win for our customers. It's a great win for the environment, but it is a substantial investment. You know, that set, just a tractor trailer, you're looking at about 300,000 bucks for one set. And and for those, you know, of us, does that need a specialized tractor too? Well, it requires a a very uh, heavy leader, high leader engine to pull. Um, and it, it's dependent on axle laws, which in these states don't require the extra axles on the tractor because the trailer has them. Uh, so it, it's just a, a substantially larger engine than you would buy out of the box. Damn. We, well, we spent a lot of time engineering with our provider partners in, in what that would look like. It, it, it's interesting because we, we're all trying to get to the, uh, you know, our, the consumers are increasingly buying from brands that value sustainability. So it's yeah. just a matter of time that before it comes back to the trucking companies like the Ruans and say, what can you do for me? How can we reduce that carbon footprint? And uh, I, that's what we need to do. You know, I, I, when we were talking offline, 
we talked about, you know, there's a big push for uh, uh, environmental and uh, what environmental, I think, and uh, corporate governance, right? Yep. And yep. ESGs. And I think it's, uh, I think it's important that we kind of, we govern ourselves. We do it first. We do it before we're told right. to do it. And, you know, because so often people are like, well, we'll wait until the re- when the Fed reg hits us, that this is the new way to do it. Because the, uh, I, I think we're way better off to, to take a leadership role there because we know what we need to do. You know, it's funny you talk about that. We, we have a customer in Indiana that we, we actually, uh, and maybe still is the case, ran the largest alternative fuel fleet of its type in our business. And it, it literally their moniker is powered by poop. Because we take we take manure through the digester, and we were running a fleet of forty two alternative fuel vehicles CNG uh, in the state of Indiana, and it, it's been a great story. Uh, but they were progressive, working with Ruan on the front end of being way ahead of what you're talking about now. This goes back a decade, right? Um, and you're right; we we all have to be progressive in our thinking. And you know, I, I think. Powered by poop is, is just a, a great moniker. Uh, they, they actually have a little decal on all their vehicles, um, which is which is fun. Uh, and, and you know, the next as long as, I don't, is, as long as I don't smell it or have to get close to it, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, electrifications around the corner. We're already working in markets with 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 uh, local trucks in that space, and yeah, it, it's just the the tip of the right. iceberg. And one of the things, also, you know. You guys actually own assets, so you can have a direct impact on that. But, you know, you mentioned the visibility earlier, and I think visibility and knowing your trucks are and make sure we get backhauls is the key to getting uh, yeah. getting rid of empty miles. Empty miles has been the enemy of trucking and logistics for a long time. And when we think about it, that is if we could get rid of empty miles, we're saving so much uh, carbon going into the environment. So I think there's some opportunity just with the technology beyond the assets. So anyway, we talked about drivers. We talked about your your equipment. We talked about, you know, this, this uh, back office and we talked about sustainability, safety, visibility, all the things that you're kind of driving there. So Chris, when we talk about this, (laughs) this, this topic, which is how do we successfully uh, manage bulk food transport? Give us some final thoughts on that, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Well, I, I think that's that's a great question. I, I think, you know, it, 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 there's really th- three components for me, uh, I think, and they're, they're, these are what I would say are the, the basics, right? First of all, it, it's the plan. It's the, the training, the development of your teams, your drivers. You have to have a... Uh, secret sauce, a secret recipe for how you're going to do that, because there, there's no room for variability there. One mistake is catastrophic, uh, not only to to you as a carrier, but to the customer. So definitely on the front end, you know, yeah, that right. make a plan, build the plan. And then the middle of that, Joe, is execute to the plan. You know, it's great to have a plan, but but you said it, you have to lean in with your customers you have to have systems in place that complement your customers, give them the visibility, give them the confidence in you right. that you can that, that you can change with them. Because if, if you're rigid and you're unable to change, you're unable to add value, um, you know, 
you, you, you hit it on the head with dedicated. Our role is to become their transportation expert and allow them to focus on, you know, producing products. Right. So that, that's kind of the middle piece. And lastly, you have to stay relevant with a future forward look, because as soon as you think you have this thing figured out, whether it's what you just mentioned, sustainability, that's going to drive this market to wildly change, right? Because, you know, today's generation, they want to know where their food's coming from, from the farm level using blockchain. They want to know the name of the chicken that they're going to have for dinner. So there's going to be a lot of changes when we think about how we look to the future. Um, your offerings have to, they have to expand. You have to, I believe, again, become an expert in your customer's business and be at the table with them to help them drive their right. long-term strategies, which in turn drive your long-term right. strategies. Yep. And if you, if you don't have, I would say the, the capacity, the wherewithal or the appetite, it would not be a good good business segment to right. get into. And I'll say this, I'll, I'll add one more to your three there, is that, you know, if you're a shipper, you want to pick a company, and I'll say Ruan's one of them, is you want to pick a company that's got the right culture, the right fit, and who can do yeah, all, right. who can actually invest in my business. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of small companies. I talk to, you know, a fair number of big companies, and there's a fit. If you're a little company, maybe you say, look, I just love having uh, the local guy pick up my stuff and I can trust. But when you get to a big operation, I want somebody who can say, look, I've got the money to train people. I've got, uh, this is a, a marquee company. People want to work here. I can buy the right assets. I can buy the right technology. Whatever you need me to be, I can lean in. And that's, my, you know, I've, I've, I've invested in the space. And, and and I think that's what you absolutely need. You need the, and it's going to be that right fit too. Uh, you don't want to work with somebody who doesn't. <laughs> you, you mentioned, Chris, you mentioned uh, we were prepping that, you saw somebody who came out to one of the farms with you in the wearing high heels. <laughs> she yeah. said, first, first day at the farm, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, that, that's a funny story. And it, it was just a, it was an invite from a customer that had invited carriers out of all sizes. And this was actually a very large carrier. <laughs> um, and, and literally the day was penciled out. We're going to make farm visits. And this individual had a dress and high heel shoes on. It was I, a, a miserable day plugging around the mud. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it, I think it really spoke to to what you said about the culture, you know, really understanding this type of business. And you talked about the customer relationship. You know, one of our pillars is enduring partnerships. You know, we touch all pieces of this industry from managed transportation to finding you a, a spot market rate in the middle of the night to providing great dedicated service. And it, it, it means a lot to us. Our retention rate's extremely high and we're proud of that. And it hasn't come with the good old fashioned uh, listening, perseverance and hard work. <laughs> well, to that end, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's going on over at Ruan? First off, who do you serve? Beside, who do you serve? And then uh, how do we reach out and talk to you? Boy, uh, I mean, from a vertical perspective, it's almost who don't we serve, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would say our, you know, our, our legacy footprints have uh, been, again, I'm going to go back to that bulk agriculture, earth products with our founding, um, but food and beverage, you know, that goes back into the 30s. We've, we've long been a supplier uh, to grocers, food, beverage segments, uh, 
you know, I, I have bakery customers, I have tortilla customers, I have, you know, mass, you know, retailers of consumer goods that go to, to large retailers. Um, bulk food grade, that type of work, uh, dairy goes really back into the fifties. I mean, at one time in the sixties, Ruan was one of the largest petroleum haulers in the U.S., right? Uh, but we do all kinds of stuff from specialized chemicals and industrial gases, which, you know, is extremely complex. Uh, manufacturers who I started my career with at Ruan, which is a, a great space to make yourself and your company better as you learn right. through continuous improvement projects. Medical, pharmaceutical, metals, retail, we kind of touch it all, Joe. Right. But, uh, you know, it's not just the dedicated transportation of it. You know, we've made a great investment in systems. There's been a lot of press around mastery and that investment and partnership. Um, and we we really are focused on on being a, a 4PL provider to our customers. Yeah. And when you say mastery, it's not just uh, personal mastery or business. You're talking mastery of the company, the, the it's tech, technology, right? Correct. Yep. Ruan made a significant investment in that space. I don't want to spend time on this today, but, you know, look, look for a lot of great things to come from that. But, you know, the, the intent of that is to put all of our freight in one visible exchange where we can, you, you mentioned the word empty miles, right? Our goal is to be able to look across all of the systems and, and see where we have opportunities to help. And I, I think the pandemic taught us that. Right. We moved, we moved resources for customers that would haul widgets and all of a sudden we're hauling groceries <laughs> right. and e-commerce and toilet paper right. and all those other things. So. Yeah. And it's interesting when you mentioned all these different segments you're working in, one of the things, you know, every once in a while I'll see trucks driving down the expressway and I always go, who, who is that? Who is that? Right. And, but by the way, I saw the other day I was on the expressway. I saw three Amazon trucks. I was like, are they, are they doing okay? I hope they're, <laughs> I hope they're doing all right. Three Amazon <laughs> trucks. Like, one was going the other way and two were with me. Anyway, um, with Ruan, you guys don't always have your name on the truck. So the trucks that you see moving, you go, oh, okay, well, that belongs to XYZ company. And if they're a retailer or uh, uh, a retailer or even a manufacturer, that could very easily be a Ruan truck yeah, and a well, Ruan driver. A great, <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a great call. I would say uh, – Early on in my, in my career, up till maybe twelve years ago, you seldom saw Ruan as a as a brand. Right, <laughs> um, and we we really took a lot of, I would say, painful insight sessions to say we've got to get that brand out there. So I think you're seeing more Ruan, but to your point, at any time <laughs> you could be going down the road next to a, a Ruan driver, right. and you wouldn't. You wouldn't know it unless you read the little print right. on the door. <laughs> it, it, it's like Intel. It's an Intel inside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. A, that's that's a great that's a great analogy. We might have to put that on our trucks. Right. <laughs> Ruan inside. So what I'll do, Chris, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, and I'll put a link to cool. Ruan's website and uh, anything else that Mallory gives me uh, from marketing we'll put in there and uh I do appreciate great. you taking the time. It's an interesting topic. I feel like there's all these niches that you know that most of us don't get into, you know, we, we, we hear so much about the, you know, capacity and this, that, the other thing, but we don't get into, you know, three layers into a customer like uh, you guys do with this milk business, which I, which I now know is mostly powder. 
<laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and you talk about how does a kid from Chicago end up in the middle of all this milk business? So I, I think Chicago the, pretends they're you know, not in the Midwest, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're good at the cattle end of things. We're good at we're good in the oh, cattle. Yeah. Well, but, but that's a that was one of my experiences when I was in Des Moines. How many people in Des Moines are from Chicago and said this is this is nice. <laughs> it's yeah. got all the things I need without all the other things they don't necessarily need. You can cheer for the yeah. Chicago teams if you want. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> miserably, I do. I've not been successful in my cheering for, for a number of years, but I, I keep hoping, Joe. Yep. How's that? Yep. I know the feeling. We got the same thing going on over here. <laughs> so, anyway, Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, you bet. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.